Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. We can have relationship with you, and that's all that matters. God, I pray that everything else in our life would dim in comparison as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look fully into his face, God, his wonderful face. We give you the praise and we give you the thanks, God, as we give to our missionaries tonight. And God, we ask that each and every one of them would be blessed as well in this holiday and Christmas season. We lift you up and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. So if you want to turn your Bibles tonight to the book of Luke, we're going to look at chapter 7, and we're going to talk the next two Wednesdays about a, the, a proper theology for miracles. Um, I think next Wednesday you'll be happier with the message than you will be tonight, because we'll actually talk about some of the miracles, and we'll cover them, but tonight we're going to have a foundation for why miracles are used by God in the very first place. Why God, what is God doing when he does a miracle? What is the purpose of a miracle? You might discover tonight that the purpose of a miracle is probably far beyond your problem or your pain. I, I, I just want to remind you of this too. Often when we give a testimony of what God has done, we talk about how God has dealt with the problem or the pain, but we miss sometimes the purpose of why he did it. Yeah. So, if you've ever been in a place before where you doubted that a miracle was for you, and if you've ever been in a place before where you've struggled with the idea of miracles, you're not alone. In fact, uh, probably one of the, the greatest uh, of, of people that God has ever used is John the Baptist. And he had a place in his life where he doubted the message of Jesus. And the way that Jesus came back to rebuild his faith, especially as he was going through a really dark and hard time, was to remind him of the miracles. So if you look in uh, Luke chapter 7, and uh, look at verse 22. And then he told John's disciples, go back and tell John. You see, John at this time had, uh, had confronted some of the things that was going on in Herod's life. There were three Herods. Uh, during biblical history that time in the New Testament. But this particular Herod uh, had uh, decided that he was going to uh, have a relationship with a family member. And uh, this relationship was not godly at all. And so John the Baptist had confronted uh, this situation. And as a result, he had been put in prison. He's about to be beheaded. And uh, so he shipwrecked in his faith because of his circumstance. How many of you know we can get so wrapped up in looking at our circumstances that we miss the Spirit? What God is doing. And so, so John sends some disciples to Jesus, and we see that the disciples are supposed to go back to John and tell John this from Jesus. He said, Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John, tell him what you have seen and heard. Okay? The blind see, the lame walk, those, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who not, do not fall away because of me. Actually, Jesus had said seven things there. Seven things. He, he gave six that are happening, and he gave a seventh that you should respond to those things as you understand that they're happening. So the last one is, blessed are those who do not fall away. Another translation uh, says, who do not become offended, right, or fall away because of me. So Jesus said, I want to authenticate the message by the miracles. And that, that connection is going to be made tonight. We're going to talk about how really the Word of God is the important thing. And then what God does to authenticate His Word or His messenger or message is He brings miracles so that people who are hard in their hearts or desensitized in their spirits or souls to God's Word will perch up and listen. So God will send miracles many times just so that people will get saved. It's really a salvation thing, <laughs> which is probably the greatest miracle of all. I, I'm going to warn you tonight, uh, you may want to stop me if, if I hit a particular area where a word comes out and you're like, wow, I, I've never heard that before. Stop me 
raise your hand say hey i want to want you to break that down a little bit more when we talk about a theology of miracles it's way past your boo-boos and it's right way into god's creation and hold on to this idea tonight god's creation and then god's restoration of his creation those are why miracles happen and what what made god's creation functional in the first place was god's word what makes god's regeneration or restoration of creation again in the first place is god's word so if you don't have god's word you don't have god's power and god's miracles god's word all in creation came first and then we see the miraculous things happen we say in latin ex nihilo this means out of nothing the universe was created out of come on say it with me nothing that's a, that's a creation so everything you see in this world today that you can see and touch is really a very old miracle salah you're sitting right now on a miracle it came out of nothing where are the miracles <laughs> people ask this all the time they come to me all the time where are the miracles and i'm like you're one you all started out in the mind of god god had a god had a picture that would be you you are not completely what god had intended to be but you are becoming everything that he intended you to be you are miraculously here <laughs> think about this you started off as a tiny little couple of cells that you are a miracle your life is a miracle your heart beating right now is a miracle everything that's happening around us and you're going to hear me here say in just a minute stop saying there's a supernatural and a natural there's just god's natural i'm, I'm really gonna have to help us with this because we think there's a supernatural realm that's way upstairs somewhere and every once in a while god's power trickles down into the natural down the stairs downstairs where we are and every once in a while we experience something that he's done you are something that he's done you are breathing right now you are alive right now because you were once in the intention and the mind of god more than a millennia ago he decided you would be born and everything that your personality your makeup the you we're in the mind of God, and now here you are. And so you're surrounded by the miracles of God. But the miracles of God are not just to give you goosebumps at the end of your elbow. They're to authenticate the message of God so that you'll receive God and be obedient to him. And that's what they did for John before he died. You see, John could have continued to follow his doubt to hell. You... It's, it, and I might say this more, land is playing a little bit more next week, but we wrongly assume that people in the Bible, especially the New Testament, everybody that experienced a miracle went to heaven. We wrongly assume that. I can point directly to some cases, especially when the lepers got healed, and not all of them came back to praise God. Come on. Just because you got a miracle doesn't mean that you're right with God. And so the, the real purpose of a miracle is to draw people to salvation relationship with Jesus Christ to authenticate who he is as the message of God, the word of God. All of creation exists because the word came first. All of creation will be, will be regenerated and restored because of the word of God came. Did you know that when Jesus rose from the dead, that was the first day of the rest of restoration? Colossians says he's the firstborn from the dead. That was day one of God's restoration and reconstruction of his creation. Oh, you're so excited. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for miracles. But thank you even more for the message. God, thank you for signs. But thank you even more for the sermons, God, that come from your son, Jesus Christ, that point to him. God, help us to understand a, a, a natural, biblical, balanced theology of the miraculous tonight. I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you the Hebrew word here for, for miracle. And it's probably not going to represent anything you think a miracle is. Are you ready? Okay. Nice. 
where we get the word Nisi. Nisi. Yehovah Nisi. The Lord is my... What's Nisi? Yes, banner. Yehovah Nisi. It means banner. You say, that's a miracle? Yep. God's intention in a miracle is threefold under the definition of this word Nisi. Watch, watch this. In fact, the first time it's mentioned in the Bible, I'll give it to you in just a second. Um, we see that God's miraculous power shows up to represent these three things. Number one, Nisi means test. Number two, Nisi means flag or banner. Number three, Nisi means covering. I want you to think about Jesus Christ on the cross and his death for each and of you, my life included. Um, well, let's see. That's a pole. That's a banner. Oh, come on. It, you understand that is a covering. That's a blood atonement covering. Who am I talking and teaching to tonight? We understand the miraculous sometimes as, well, I just got a job where I didn't have a job. God made a way where it, there wasn't a way. I just got healed. I no longer have to go through this. Yes, it's all of that, but the greater is this, that God has proven himself on earth that his message is authentic and his messenger, Jesus Christ, is everything he says he is. And that even the cross, this moment that looked like the greatest defeat was actually the greatest victory in that it was our, and is our banner, come on, it is our flag, Come on, it is our covering. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, it's the first time you see the word miracle in the Bible, and it's in the Hebrew word Nisi. It says, uh, Moses built an altar and called the name of that altar Adonai, that be Lord. Nisi is my banner. The Lord is my banner. This was after the defeat of the Amalekites. This was a a war that had happened where they should not have won, and they did, and God showed up and did the miraculous. But how did he do the miraculous? He did it in such a way that the whole world would know who the one true God is. It was an authentication of the message. Now I'm going to give you Isaiah. Write this in your notes, Isaiah 11:10, Because a miracle is always Jesus. A miracle is not what Jesus does. A miracle is who Jesus is. It's who he is, not what he does. You're limiting who Christ is. It, it's who he is. Watch this, Isaiah eleven ten. It says, it will come about in a day that the root of Jesse, who was Jesse? Jesse was whom? Father of David. And the root of Jesse, we're talking about the Messiah here. This is a messianic uh, prophetic verse. It says, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner, as a Nisi, come on, to all people. The nations will seek him, capital H, and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah was saying, do you want to know and see and experience a miracle? Isaiah was saying, he's coming, and the miracle isn't a what, it's a who, it's Jesus. He's our banner. Did you know that Jesus created all creation? Did you know that? Do you know, think about this for a second. Then why would you ever, if he is the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. If he is the word, then let me ask you something. Why do you seek a miracle apart from his message? Miracles always follow his message and the messenger. Miracles don't just happen on their own. The point of a miracle is to authenticate as a flag here is a flag. We're going to throw it in the ground. When the United States would, over, would win a, a piece of, of territory in any of our battles, we would place our flag there. You understand? This would be the banner. This is saying this now belongs to us. The cross was heaven's banner into the ground that says this now belongs to Christ. That's why at the resurrection... Jesus could say to his disciples and his followers, now all power and authority has been given unto me. He says, now go out and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to all 
creation. You've read right past that before, but you need to stop when you read that. In Matthew chapter, what is it? Come on, 28, the Great Commission, preach the gospel to who? To what? All creation. In other words, Jesus is saying, the banner is here, the flag is here, the covering is here, the miracle is here, the miracle is me, and now I live in you, and I want you to preach in such a way that it transforms creation. Do you know what God is doing in the last 2,000 years and what he'll do in the last 1,000 years in the millennium? He is reconstructing what sin tore apart. What did Jesus do when he came on the scene? 400 years during the intertestinal period, there was no miracle and there was also no word. As you open your Bible, you'll see Malachi and then you need to count 400 years before you get to Matthew. Nothing happened. All we have is Hanukkah, the festival of lights. One day's worth of oil lasted eight. By the way, Jesus celebrated that. Did you know? I'll give you the verse on that. Just so you can. John chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus celebrated that. That was the one thing that happened in 400 years. You say, what's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you the big deal. That 400 is pretty powerful because there's a time in the Old Testament when the Jews were in Egypt where not one miracle happened either. And that was... a. Uh, 400 years and you'll see in each of those times when those 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 uh, seasons ended God raised up and sent a messenger and then the miracles came you don't get miracles without the message the message comes first and Jesus is the messenger of all creation and then Jesus came again and is the messenger of all restoration of creation <laughs> okay not not so exciting yet yeah so what, what what do we define a miracle as today many would argue this this phrase right here and if you say this phrase around me i'll just laugh and i'll just say well that's that's your story okay a suspension of natural law we know that there's a miracle and a miracle happens when natural law is suspended but my god is a lawgiver don't he doesn't break laws or bend laws. He is the law. He is the word. So, so don't think that something has to be suspended. And I know some of you are struggling with this, but listen, listen, here's what got us into this place. We started responding to the world, and here's a couple of ages we responded to, and we developed new theology in order to respond to it. Here's a couple of ages. The Renaissance period was one. We started responding to the modernistic period. Now we're in the postmodernistic period. We had these ages where people started to say, now watch this phrase, hear it, hear it closely, I believe in science. Science is not a faith. I hope you'd agree with me on that. Science is not a faith. Science is an investigative technique based upon some principles and those principles are we test something we look at it we retest it and if we can see the experiment stays the same we could come to a thesis we could come to a hypothesis or a hypothesis we could even have a theory but we still don't know everything it is about that and let me tell you this there are some things we'll never know you say, Pastor, how could that be? Because some things are so small, just the simple measuring of those things affects the thing that you measure when you measure it. Some things are so large that you're inside that thing, so you cannot objectively measure or test that thing because you're inside the thing you're attempting to test. So science isn't necessarily an evil, it's just not a good religion. And when people say, I believe in science, you are saying you're placing your faith in something that is limited. And our response usually is to these periods, especially the postmodern period, is that, okay, when a miracle does happen, it must be that God is suspending natural law for me to be able to contain it within the universe that I know. We don't know all of what's going on in the universe, especially at the quantum level. We have no idea what's happening. 
at the super small and the super big level. We have little clues, and that's it. <laughs> I'll get back to that in a moment, but I want to redefine a miracle for you, okay? I want to redefine it for you. A miracle is a divine action of God that brings glory to God by His Word to the restoration of creation. It's a divine act of God. It does not need to supersede any laws because he's the lawgiver in the first place. Right? So, why do we see miracles? One reason, Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Jesus encounters a man with leprosy, right? It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. We see miracles from God because the God we serve is filled with what? compassion that's why we see him and he had the compassion to touch a man that it was unlawful to touch but he could touch him because he is the high priest and the law says the high priest can touch the leper come on all right so what stands out is miracles sometimes weren't even necessarily planned in uh in the in the future sense that jesus would show up here and then conduct the miracle Jesus just noticed people that were broken and noticed creation that needed to be restored and Jesus reached out who was the word the messenger of God and then did a miracle as a result of it it was his compassion that did it miracles are God's confirmation of the message from God and the sign confirms the sermon all right let's talk about this a little bit here I believe that most miracles happen on the mission field Miracles happen everywhere all the time, but most of them happen on the mission field. And when I say mission field, most of you say and think inside of your heads, Africa. And you would be wrong because there's greater revivals going on in Africa right now than there are in the United States. The mission field is right here. But if you're not on mission, you probably won't see very many miracles because miracles are the tip of the spear for the message that God wants to send through the messenger to the lost. Can I just tell you, what good is it if somebody's back is healed if they still go to hell? God isn't just going to heal people for, for the sense of having a better life now and no eternity with Him later. Miracles often happen to authenticate the one true God, and God has always been in mission from the beginning now to the end. Can I give you a different look at your Bible for a moment? Can you see miracles and missions differently? Your Bible's first book is Genesis. Stay with me. Your last book is Revelation. You think you know that. So do I. But do you really know what those two books are saying as bookends to the 66 books that are in the Bible? Let me put it to you this way. Genesis begins with a creation narrative. All this something out of nothing. Miraculous. But Genesis doesn't end with all this good something out of nothing. Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt. Have you not read your Bible where Joseph is now in Egypt and his father has now died and they bury him right there in that coffin? Think about that. Boy, we had a great start, didn't we? But then death came in. That's the story of Genesis. We had a wonderful, miraculous start and then we fell all the way up until the end of the book. And don't you hate when you see that movie and it has a just an ending that's terrible you want everything to be solved don't you oh you should hear my wife she's not in here to defend herself but sometimes we'll see a movie and she'll go you gotta be kidding me i could have wrote it better than that that's how it's gonna end and maybe you grew up in the 70s or the 80s where they had those books where you could choose your ending remember those books and you get to a couple chapters and it say if you'd like it to end this way turn to page such and such but if you'd like it to end this way, turn to this page. And you got to pick your own ending. <laughs> it's kind of neat, isn't it? Genesis ain't that way at all. You got to end on a bad note, a really bad note. <laughs> we see Jesus in creation, and then we see a coffin in Egypt. But the final book of God's Word introduces Jesus Christ, the first begotten of the dead, come on, Revelation 1.5, and then ends with all things being made new, Revelation 21.5.
Do you see the story now? You and I are stuck in the middle. We're stuck in the middle between the coffin and the firstborn from the dead making all things new. Miracles happen because many of us and many churches and many people are still stuck in a coffin and Egypt has always represented slavery and sin. That's the story of your Bible. What's in between, in the middle, stuck in the middle? Missions. And why do we need miracles? Because the creative act of God is broken. And God wants to authenticate his message to the broken by the miraculous. You want to see people get saved? Bring them the word of God first, then pray for miracles. I'm here to tell you, they'll get saved in droves. You say, Pastor, we need church programs that are really cool. Smoke on the stage and lasers. We got to have these, we got to have these big, big events where everybody's lined up outside to come in and see whatever we're putting on. Hey, those things are cool. I'm not against some creative stuff. But in the end, you want to see people really get saved? They're going to get saved the same way you did. You came to God broken. At your lowest point, you believe the message of God, you receive the message of God, and now you're living, breathing, walking miracles of God. Amen. That's how we come to God. That is the story of mission. I'd like it to be an easier story, but that's the one God picked. That's the ending he picked. So many times we want the wow, we don't seek the word. And many times we want the miracles, we don't seek the message. Now, there are 250 major miracles in your Bible. 250. Another scholar that I've read says there's 256. Let's just, let's just round it to 250. There are other miracles, but there are 250 major miracles. Now get this. There are 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. Now if you do your math correctly you can see that that equals about one miracle for every eight years and i'd like to tell you it worked that way like every eight years god did another miraculous thing but it didn't work that way actually in your bible as you read the miracles of god they come in these clumps and these bunches and what are they bunched around a messenger with a message who's bringing the word and the and what, what, why don't we see as many miracles as we could see? Because there's no real messenger and there's no real word. And so the people wait and wait and pray and pray. Children of Israel in Egypt, 400 years. Intertestable period between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years. Waiting for a miracle. But what did they really need? A message. They needed a message. Why does it happen this way? Because God wants to send his word first, and then he backs it up with his message. There are a couple other times where things go silent in the Old Testament, and because the word is silent, the miracles don't happen. Let me give you another uh, case here. Is that okay? Would you like one more? Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So um, some of your Bibles also say it was scarce. The word of the Lord was scarce in those days, and there was no open vision. What does that mean? It means there was nothing being received from heaven in the form of the word. If everything in creation began as a word, then if something new is to become or be transformed, we need to hear the word, okay? And we had a, we had a priest slash judge in Eli who was in charge, who was not paying attention or walking with the Lord the way he should have, right? So God had to raise up Samuel out of Hannah so that there would be more word, because who he had wasn't hearing the word and wasn't giving the people the word. Now, he, had, he was running things in Shiloh, and they had a tabernacle in Shiloh. You with me? The, there, was no, there was no temple yet. The ark wasn't in the temple yet, but they did have the Ark of the Covenant there. And the people came there to worship. They did what they were supposed to. Only Eli wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Now, he had two sons. They were rascals. Who remembers their names? Yeah. Hophni and Phinehas, right? So these two, these two rascals were doing a few things. First off, 
they were instead of eating instead of sacrificing the meat offered to the lord they were eating it sounds like church today sounds like the modern western american religious ministry is a career you're not hearing me but i'm telling you it is it's true it's true we're not gonna we're not gonna make sure that that resource gets to where god wants it to go for the glory of god we're going to feed ourselves on that. The other thing they were doing is they were sleeping with the women that, that worked in the temple. They worked at the doors. There were women that were allowed to serve God at the doors, not inside, but at the doors. They were allowed to, I guess, be greeters, you know. Hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord. Come on in. Worship the Lord. Well, Hophni and Phinehas were sleeping with them, and that angered God. And the third thing is they never worshiped God in the first place which meant they never should have been in that position in the first place. And yet they were. I don't know, was it nepotism? I, church, I love you. I don't know. I don't know why some people end up where they are. You're probably still asking, how did my boss become my boss? I don't know. I don't know how people end up where they're at. It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's kind of funny that some people end up in places and it's like, you really have no business being there. <laughs> you just don't. I love you. I got the, Ephesians five says, you know, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to respect all all authorities appointed by God. But you know, you really have no business being there. Well, they had no business where they were, and the result of that was the word was scarce. And when we move into visions, that's miraculous. That's prophetic. There were no prophetic visions at the time. So they weren't experiencing any miracles because they weren't getting the word. And they weren't getting the word because the people that were serving God weren't where they were supposed to be. A litmus test for any ministry would be this. If the people of God are where they're supposed to be and the word, the word of God is being preached, not the word of man, then you should see miracles. And if you don't, resign. Well, that's easy for you to hear, isn't it? But you'd have to resign as well. Think about that one. Oh, I'm all alone tonight. Maybe somebody at home's going, amen, pastor. Yeah, amen. Amen, it's true. Hey, there was another guy in the Old Testament. You remember Aaron? He had two sons too. What were their names? Do you remember? Oh, their names were even weirder. And what did they do? Do you remember what they did? Made strange fire. They brought fire from the outside. And they put it on the altar. And you know what, you know what happened as a result? Um, actually, fire consumed them. Charred them so badly that their bodies were to be wrapped before they were moved. They weren't even, be they weren't even to be touched. They were to be taken out of the camp. You see, when God wants to deliver his word to his people it's so important that the people in the middle are where they're supposed to be not only so that the people can get what they're supposed to get right but so that the miraculous can happen and it can be a picture of who the one true god really is so god takes this seriously he really does he takes it seriously you say pastor who was those guys well i'll tell you what i got a candy bar or something for the people that, that knows how about that Amos 8, 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north and to the east. They shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Amos was saying a picture is coming. Before Jesus comes, there's going to be years and years and years where there's no word. And as a result of no word, people are going to be hungry hungry they're going to be thirsty they're going to want the things of god but they won't be able to find it we have to make sure that the world finds it we've got to make sure that the world hears the word if they get the messenger of god they'll get the miracles of god all right so are miracles the suspension of natural order i said i would get back to that here it is not necessarily i want to quote to you what c.s lewis said you remember that guy you know he didn't just like really come up with really cool books like the lion the witch and the wardrobe you know he's probably one of the greatest theologians of our time um, so anyway here's what he said 
I've heard it said that miracles are the suspension of natural law, but I believe miracles are nature simply obeying the will of its creator. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson had a Bible. Did you know this? And in his Bible, he went in and he took a razor blade and he cut out all the miracles, cut them all out. He left in all the teachings of Jesus and the moral platitudes and all the altruisms but he cut out all the miracles because in his mind whatever he could not explain by natural law are you with me he said was impossible so he had his own version of the Bible some churches have their own version of the Word of God because they never preach any of the miracles from the Word of God so they might as well just take the page and rip it out I had a man in my office one time not at this church okay I had a man come to me in my office one time and say, do I have to speak in tongues? I said, no, you get to. Do I have to prophesy? I said, no, you get to. Do I have to lay hands on the sick? I said, no, you get to. Do I have to believe in the power of God? And do I have to be a miracle worker? Because, you know, by the way, that's one of the nine gifts as well. First Corinthians chapter 12. I said, no, you get to. He said, well, I don't want any of that to happen in my life. He had his Bible with him because he was there to challenge me. I wasn't there to challenge him. I was just there to benefit him. I said, could you give me your Bible? I turned right to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I said, would it be okay if I just tore this right out of your Bible? He said, you, you don't dare tear that out. I said, well, you don't believe it. You don't think it's for you. Why have it in your Bible? That's the Word of God. Just not for you just not for you this part you don't think is for you you'd love to have it inside your bible but you don't want to have it inside your heart so people who lived during moses's time or or later up to jesus did not see miracles as a suspension of natural law they saw miracles as this the authenticated the authentication of the message from the messenger it was a banner it was a flag. It was that there's been a test and the test has been overcome. And God has overcome it. And God has sent his son, who is Nisi. He is the banner. He is the one that's passed the test. And he is the miracle working God in this case. Supernatural and natural law are both works of God. They're both works of God. I want to give you, I want to give you, anybody ever heard of Roger Penrose? Now I'm a geek. Roger Penrose. Roger Penrose, and I'm not going to bring up in church what he did, because he had a couple of bets with Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, before he died, was the guy that, he's kind of the modern Einstein of our time, that came up with some of the best theories for gravitation and for black holes and some really goofy stuff out in the universe and creation. Roger Penrose said this about chaos bringing about the miracle of what you live in right now, what you experience right now, which is all this order, all this order. Now, I'm not talking about what CNN and Fox News told you is going on in the world today. There's tons of order in the universe, right? Here's what Roger Penrose said. He said, the probability of the universe arranging itself from chaos, I'm quoting him, from chaos is over 13, or, or rather, over 13.4 billion years into just the right condition for the existence of stars, nuclear furnaces that produce all the elements for us over the eons is 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 123. So that would be, that number would be uh, 29.975 trillion years to type. It's got so many euro, zeros after it, it would take 29.975 trillion years to type out the zeros to one. Everything you're in, everything you see, all this order is a miracle. It's all a miracle. And you look at it, and it's one of the ways that in theology we say, this is how we know there is a God. Because all creation testifies to that fact. That's what we call in, uh, <laughs> that's what we call in college general revelation. All of creation is telling you there's a God. 
So we need a finer distinction, a newer normal, okay? Therefore, I, I propose a more accurate set of words to describe reality. Instead of supernatural and natural, I would say there is God's normal, which is normal, and then there's abnormal. And I would say that there's natural and unnatural, not natural and supernatural. I would say the new normal, if you're a believer and you believe in God, is that everything that God is doing it should be and is natural. And what is unnatural is evil. Yeah. And I would say that miracles are the norm. I set out to try to prove that tonight. Okay? And that what is not of God's message and what is not of God's messenger is the abnormal. I understand that we think in these terms of natural and supernatural, but I want you to see something different here. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's. That means everything, everything here is the Lord's. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and it is full of his glory. Chock full of his glory. Say, I can't see it. I don't, I don't know if I can believe it unless I can see it. Um, God's glory will not be tested. God's glory is enjoyed. God's glory is responded to, and it's responded to with worship. If you don't respond to it with faith and worship, you won't see it. You'll be blind to it. So then, here's a guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas. You heard of this guy? He insisted that a miracle is not contrary to nature. He said this, it is in the nature of all created things to be responsive to God's will. So all created things, because the earth is the Lord's and it's full of his glory, naturally respond to God and God's will. So <laughs> we're going to end with this idea here. What is God's priority then of miracles? I'm going to leave you with this idea and then next week it get really good. All right. There's a time frame for everything. It's not, the question is not if God will do the miraculous. Usually it's when. And it's not how God does it, but it's that God shows up in his son to do it. So I want to give you this, this idea here from Psalms 107.20. It says this, you sent your word or he sent his word and healed our disease. Can I, can I go back to what I'm teaching you here? This is the natural order of things. This is the order of spiritual things. It says, he sent out his word and healed them and he rescued them from the grave. The two greatest miracles in history are the creation of the universe and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both started with a word. Come on. Started with a messenger that had a message that needs to be brought out into fallen creation so that it can be regenerated and restored. The word goes out first, then the healing. The word goes out first, then the rescue from the grave tell you another way it's second peter 3 8 but do not forget this one thing you've heard this before dear friends with the lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day the lord is not slow in keeping his promise you know i've had a couple of miracles that i thought were slow that doesn't mean the lord's slow okay as some understand slowness here's the three priorities with god here's the three you ready he is patient with you, not wanting, number two, anyone to perish, but number three, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you get those things? So we want a miracle, but we don't see that God wants us to get the message first. And the message is this. I'm patient with you. <laughs> I'm patient with you. And I'm wanting all to come to repentance, and I'm wishing that none would perish. I will tell you why some miracles tarry. Because God is patient with you. He's not wishing anyone to perish. 
but that all come to repentance. You see, there's a greater priority that God places on eternity with Him than the timing of your need for an immediate miracle. God, God left me in a prison as a guard for, a, for almost a solid five years in factories for 13. Grew up in a home that was pretty rough. Won't go into the details of that. For 16 years, as a believer, praying, and I'm saying, God, give me a miracle, give me a miracle. And I just said, no, miracle's coming, but for now, I'm being patient with you. I'm doing more than what you're asking for, <laughs> right? I'm wishing that you would not perish, but that you would repent, that there's more that I'm working behind the scenes. You see, you and I, we, you and I think that miracles are, operate like a clock and that God has to come into our, our gear system and he has to join the wheels and he has to join in with all the inner workings of our life. And in the tiny little areas that are wrong, we think that God needs to alleviate those things so that we can, we can tell time. But God says the whole watch is broken. Not just the little part you're believing him for, but God says the whole honking thing is broken. And so I'm gonna rebuild it. I'm gonna restore you I'm going to bring you back to the original intent that's in the mind of God and I'm going to build you from the ground up so that at the end of your life you will be you and you will live with me forever in eternity not just so that for right now you got this good little feeling that you had church and yeah and and what are some of the ones I hear? And they're good. They're good. But I, but I might try you a little bit with this. Um, here's some of the ones I've heard over the years. That God grew my leg to match the length of my other leg. Fantastic. Did God change your heart so that you'll go to work and get a job? I've been in churches, pastored them, where it's, God has changed my heart and I no longer want to drink alcohol. Fantastic, but you still abuse your wife. The root is not changed. He may have delivered you from this, but what he wants to really do is change you from the inside out. Spirit first, then soul, then body. How are you praying? I guarantee you most of your prayers, because mine are. You bunch of quiet little souls, you. Most of your prayers are this way. Fix my flesh. I want to feel better. Don't worry about the soul, God. It's still a mess, and my spirit's far from you. But if you just fix my flesh and make me feel better, <laughs> those will line up. God is a spirit, and he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, he's going to change you from the inside out, all of you. All these miracles happen, but they happen in a priority, in an order that he's arranged. Would you stand with me in prayer? Okay, so I got an assignment before we pray. I want you to come next week with your favorite miracle from the New Testament. Okay? I'm looking at some of you and you're just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then don't. But I'd like some of you to do that. Come with your favorite miracle from the New Testament. And we're going to hear a couple of them. And I want to know, I'm going to ask you why. I'm going to ask you why it's your favorite. I'm going to ask you what it means to you. I don't want you to interpret the miracle that way because that's bad hermeneutics. But I want to know what, after you've interpreted it correctly, what it, how it can be applied to your life. And then I want to know, can you believe God for that today? Okay. Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you're a miracle-working God, that God, your spirit can be relied upon, that God, that you work in our lives so that the message can get out to the world. God, 
and it can authenticate the messenger, which is your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he planted the flag, the banner, the covering God by giving his life on the cross and that God, the greatest miracle of all creation is his resurrection. God, you are regenerating. God, you are restoring your creation. And God, you're beginning, God, with our spirits and your people. God, you didn't send your son to overthrow the kingdoms of this world first. You sent your son to overthrow the king of my heart. That king was me, and it needed to get off the throne, God. It needed to be moved from the throne, and you needed to be seated there. And God, once your word is completely received in my heart, God, the miracles and the power, God, of your spirit show up. God, first you sent Jesus, then you sent your spirit, then came the power, God. Help us to understand, God, the priority and the protocol of your power. We give you the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.